0: Let's see what the stew has for us today.
1: Welcome to the GnomeCast and Gnome Stew's Tabletop Gaming Advice Podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the bountiful Bruce Cordell, the salacious Scott Adams, and the judicious Jeffrey Lees. Today we have myself and a special guest, Laura Hamill. Laura, tell us a little bit about who you are. Hi, Ange. Thanks for having me.
0: I am a game convention organizer. I work on a convention called Yukon up in Michigan. We had about a thousand people in the last few years. I'm also in my professional life a software engineer and I like designing websites for game
1: conventions. She's also my GM. So before we dive into that main topic, let's ask our get to know a gnome and guest question. What was your very first convention that you ever attended? Oh, it was um
0: Origins nineteen ninety-seven. I was a young woman trying out this gaming thing. I actually had quite a lot of experience a little bit of experience playing role-playing games up to that point. And there were two things about it that I remember. One was I played some RPGA events where I did not understand the RPGA concept and I was so lost. <laughs> the- Other one was that on Sunday, I took a trophy home from a car racing game, and some guy came up to me and asked me if my boyfriend won it.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. My very first con experience was not. It was not. So, what happened is, is I started gaming in the fall of 86, and in the fall of 87, my GM, Tom, said, hey, there's a game convention at RIT. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes. And we went on a Saturday. We went at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which was an hour after the most recent slot started. So we get there. They, They take my money, which at the time I was like 18 and poor. So the $5 they were asking for was an astronomical amount of money for me. And then I was told that there would be no games starting until six (laughs) o'clock. And I'm like, I'm like getting all flustered because I'm like, well, what are we supposed to do, Tom? I came here to play games. You told me there'd be games to play. And we wandered around the dealer's hall. And, you know, I'm like, I don't have any money. What am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess we can, you know, oh, and the other thing too is my family had gone out to play Putt-Putt and was going to go see a movie. So I gave up Putt-Putt and a movie to stand around and not buy things and not play games. Oh, man. So I was a little, ah, what is this? I don't understand. This isn't what you told me it would be. And he was like, okay, let's get our money back and and we can can go to the next convention. I'll plan it better next time. (laughs) And so the next con was that spring at University of Rochester SimCon, Uh, which has still been going on. I think this 2020 is the first year they actually didn't have a SimCon. It's it's not what it used to be, but they're trying. But we went to that SimCon. We went on the Friday. We went as it opened. We got signed up for events. It was a much better experience. So that kind of, that was like, yes. Nice. I like conventions. Once I went to one and actually got to play games at it. (laughs) So moving into our main topic the state of the world is not really cooperating with our need to gather with like-minded people and throw plastic geometric shapes to make up stories together. This is the future, though, and nothing stops gamers from getting their game on. So today, we're going to talk about conventions, going online, how that works, and what it means to us as GMs and players. And the reason we have our guest, Laura, is she recently wrote a fantastic guest article detailing a lot of the things that need to be taken into mind when moving a convention From physical space into virtual space. So, we thought it would be a good idea to bring her here on this particular topic. And I think the first part of this we'll get into is why. Why do an online convention at all? What are your thoughts on this, Laura? And we had a bit of debate about this
0: in the Yukon organization. A lot of people already have access to online games and are self organizing their own playtime, but there are Other people out there who don't have that for whatever reason. Conventions are their main social activity, the highlight of our year. So I I think it's a fantastic idea to have a convention online where those people can get in the games that they're missing. That's from the that's just from the attendee point of view.
1: Yeah. And I I think game groups can, you know, it's just by the nature of role-playing games, you're generally a small group of, you know, like five to six or seven people, it can get very insular and it can be hard for people who don't necessarily have the same social network to find a game when you're not going to a convention. And, you know, like I, I, I've joked that, you know, I, I love conventions because it allows me to be social with people I otherwise would shy away from. Because I have a ticket. I have a right to be at this table and game with you people and interact with you. I love that. It's let me meet so many people. Like, like Laura, we met because we played in games together at Origins. You know, and I think it's, it's, a, it's also a good way to, you know, introduce... It, it's an opportunity to play other games you wouldn't necessarily play on your own. To try new and different things. And conventions are one of the primary ways that a lot of people play you know, expose themselves to games they haven't played before. So
0: I do want to point out for players and GMs out there who are looking for games, of course, online conventions are great, but there are tools available online for meeting gamers and finding games. I know that Roll20 itself has a function. I'm pretty sure that there are other websites out there. So I think folks who are looking should just Google it and uh, see what they can find.
1: Yeah, I know. I'll give a shout out to the Gauntlet community. I have not looked in a while, but the last I knew they had a pretty active community, basically connecting players with GMs wanting to run games. They do have a little bit of a, 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 it's not a paywall per se, but their, their, their patrons and their members get first crack at games, and then any open slots can go to people who aren't members. So it's I've met, I've gamed online using that before, and I know they do a gauntlet con, an online con regularly, even before the pandemic hit and forced everyone to go online. Mm-hmm. So let's move into what do convention organizers need to have in place for this?
0: Actually, there was one topic, if we could go back for a second. Sure. I, I think that we should talk a little bit about why game organizers might, might want to do this um, or why it would be helpful to the games industry to have the online conventions.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: The games industry is hurting. I hear it online all the time. Sales are down and companies are having trouble connecting with fans. And that's largely because all of our conventions where this happens have been canceled. An online convention can help facilitate that connection to get those customers to the games industry. So I think that's critically important. And I also think that. You know, game conventions themselves have a brand that they're trying to maintain. And going online can help be a way to keep their brand out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's there's another interesting point. Um, one interesting thing that we're experiencing with uh with UConn going online this this November is that we have folks who attended, you know, ten years ago and then moved out of town. And we're a regional convention, so you know, they're not always gonna fly back, but they have stated, several people have stated to me that they're going to attend UConn for the first time in years simply because it's virtual. <laughs> so it's
1: an interesting opportunity to widen your audience. I know that I'm planning on trying to partake in Con online because I have wanted to attend Con, but it's in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a significant drive for me. In November, which usually means there may or may not be snow, and I absolutely hate driving in snow. And it often conflicts with other conventions. Actually, I should, I should edit that. Uh, Game Home Con is actually now at the end of October. It used to be in the middle of November with a whole bunch of other cons. A couple of years ago, I was, I was complaining because there were four. Four conventions all happening on the same weekend. All four of which were cons I would have considered attending, and I could not physically be in four places at once. I was a little salty about that. Well, hopefully, online uh, won't—that won't
0: necessarily solve your issue if they all go online.
1: <laughs> no, but you could like you could play a game for one con. This you know, like like divvy up your slots between cons. Con multitasking. But, uh, anyway. I'm planning on trying a game hall con cuz I won't have to actually physically travel there. It's not quite the same, but it still gets you some of the same, you know, exposure to people and social contact and all of that. Oh, uh, which one? Which one's the convention that you
0: attend in September? Uh, QCC, Queen City Conquest. You talked that up and I'm interested in attending but in September I have mom stuff going on, and so I've never been able to go. But maybe this year, I, I since I don't have to travel,
1: that it, I could finally <laughs> attend. <laughs> that would be cool. So, what do convention organizers need to have in place to make an online convention happen? Because it's not just as simple as like getting game masters to submit events. You have to be you have to have other things in place to handle this type of event.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, at a game convention, we all know you sign up, you show up and you run your game at a table and, and everybody's experienced that. They all know how that works. In our case, the game masters don't necessarily have as much exposure to the online tools as, as a couple of us who play online games all the time. Uh, so I think a large part of the task of the organizer is to teach the community how to use these tools to bring uh, the people who aren't used to it up to speed so they can participate or provide games for others.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the big things is um, at at a physical convention, like you said, GM is assigned a table, players are told what table their game is at, they show up at the table. Well, in a virtual space, where's the table? How do you tell the players where to go to meet their GM to play their game? You know, that's right. You know, that's pretty significant information that has to get transmitted to all parties involved.
0: Yeah, so when I ran an online mini convention that you attended for about uh-huh. 25 or 30 people, I didn't have the mechanism in place to transfer that information and I ended up having to individually email each of the game masters With how with information on how to connect to their players, that worked fine when it was eleven or twelve game masters, but that's not going to work for a thousand players. Uh, So for the next convention, I have updated our software to allow a game master to describe where to meet. So if you want a Zoom link or a Roll Twenty link, it's right there, and that information is transferred to anybody who gets a ticket to the event. So that's Brand new, being developed. I'm going to test it in a couple of weeks here.
1: You know, and I, I honestly, I don't know how Gen Con is handling it, but I'm sure it's a similar, uh, Gen Con Online is handling it because I'm sure it's a similar way of, you basically have to be able to allow your, your GMs to talk to the players that are going to be in their game in some way to communicate, where is this happening? Right. One thing I've been curious about, and and did you have to do this at any of the little mini-cons you're doing? Like, a player who didn't have a game who wanted a game at the last minute? You know, because we, you know, we at at a physical con, you basically can be like, you can show up at a table and be like, hey, do you have space? Yeah, at
0: at our con, we have these um, green road cones that we put up to say, hey, there's a spot available here, we need some players, but... That's not going to work in a virtual space at all. The whole concept of generic tickets kind of goes out the window if you can't find the games. Mm-hmm. So your, your choices are limited to um, trying to accommodate that means of play through like a discord chat server or just disallowing it entirely, which mm-hmm. is sad for us as players, but makes the whole logistics easier to deal with.
1: I think as a GM, I think what I would do if I knew that I had openings, I'd probably, you know, talk with whoever my contact was and be like, hey, if you get any last-minute players, you can send them my way, you know, or just basically announce in whatever, like, if there's a Discord channel or something like that, hey, announce, hey, I have an opening, you know, but that's, you know, that's... at At a physical con, the GM can usually you know, not put as much effort into having to find players. You know, they can, you know, just people with generics, will just, especially at Origins, people with generics will just randomly show up and be like, hey, can I play this one? But for an online thing, you may have to put a little more footwork into, you know, making sure you have all your seats filled if that's, you know, if you can't run with just the number that have show- signed up. Yeah, so
0: I like the idea of allowing people to find new events on Discord I also think it's important that the ticketing system doesn't shut off. Uh, that you essentially mm-hmm. allow registration up through the events so that people can sign up at the very last minute. Another problem that I see at um at game conventions is those those seat fillers essentially can make games run that weren't going to run, right? I have a mm-hmm. I need I need three players, I have one and two people show up and just play. So without those seat fillers, we lose that. So I think the solution there is for the ticketing system to tell you how many players are in an event. So if you're signing up at the last minute, you can already see if my filling of that seat is gonna make the event happen versus even if I sign up, I'm I'm not gonna get to play because there's no game here. So it's crucially important now that the ticketing software does tell you how many people are going to show up at this game.
1: Yeah. I think that's crucial for both the players and the GMs because it tells the GM, you know, Hey, you only have two players signed up and you said you needed a minimum of four. Right. So that basically gives you the time to basically see if you can find, you know, drag somebody into your game, be like, come play, play my game, you know, and it tells the players, Hey, It's an hour before the games start and there's only one other person signed up for this game. You might want to jump into the game that has four people signed up if you don't think two is going to make a game happen. You know, that type of thing. And
0: it's a delicate balancing act because, uh, I mean, we're planning to just allow anyone to select any tickets. And I'm a little bit worried about someone coming in and picking this picking two different games for the same slot when they're only planning to one just because they don't know which event is going to run. But if they know ahead of time that there's more players signed up and it's definitely going to run, then they can at least release that other ticket.
1: Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, there are certain things you can do. Like if you, and, and I know you've done this with some of our smaller cons where you've got two games that have minimum number of players, you know, like they they're not hitting their minimum You can kind of nudge them to combine into one game, uh, you know, and that way everyone gets to play. It may not be what they planned on playing or running, but everyone still gets a chance to play. For a larger convention experience, that may be a little more difficult to, you know, to handle. I
0: think you have to give people the tools to handle that organically, but trying to handle it for all, we had 900 events at UConn last year. Um. (laughs) <laughs> trying to handle that for all of them would be virtually impossible.
1: Do you do you think you're gonna get how much do you think how many events do you think you'll get for UConn online? That is the subject of some
0: debate. So based on my experience with our little con, I was hoping that, you know, we would keep seventy-five percent of the people who would normally play at a physical convention. But that's just a wild guess. We play role-playing games which translate online very easily. Uh, We had a lot of experience in the community with online games, so I think that Mm -hmm. led to that high number. So we might get 200 people. We might get 1,500 people. It's really hard to say, uh, because on that that other side, I mentioned people might sign up who haven't been able to attend our convention in years. We might get outsiders who are disappointed in Origins cancellation or whatnot, so... There's a potential for a huge swing, and we haven't even opened registration yet, so I have
1: no idea. (laughs) We shall see. We shall see. Um, So I think the next thing to talk about is what it means to be playing an online game, the type of thing that attendees should be aware of when signing up to play online games, because while it does give us the role-playing experience, it's not the same. You know, there are different things you need to be mindful of. We you know what are what are your thoughts on this, Laura?
0: So actually I wanna turn a little bit and talk about board games, because I think that board games are gonna experience this even more than role-playing games. But the mm-hmm. every board game that you play in is gonna require some platform, some software out there. There's a bunch of good ones I mentioned in the article, Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, some of them are free, some of them are not. And Every game master who signs up to run on one of those platforms needs to write down which one it is in the description, so that people can use that when they're deciding whether to sign up in the first
1: place. Right. I, I know. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a fan of Board Game Arena. I've been playing on them with both coworkers and some other folks. I, you know, to basically keep up team spirit for uh, my coworkers, we we have a game hour on Thursdays where we basically, whoever wants to, it's usually four or five of us, get on Board Game Arena and take an hour and just play board games. And Board Game Arena is nice because it has some good ones. It has Seven Wonders. It has Carcassonne. It has um, Sushi Go. uh, it It has a bunch that I've absolutely never heard of, but it definitely has some of the known ones. Board games are definitely a, a, a trickier subject, I think, for online cons, but they're not they're not
0: impossible. Yeah, I mean, when we do role playing games, all we need are some dice, which you can get virtual dice. Uh, you need a character sheet, which I can send you a PDF. And then we do a video conference. That's really the, the basics that you need. But with with mm-hmm. board games, you need to find a platform out there that has the board game that you want to run. Uh, And you need to make sure that the experience is going to be smooth. You need to think about whether it's going to cost the players who are coming to play money. You need to think about whether you need a separate video conferencing system because your board game platform doesn't actually support it. We actually have a team of gamer geeks working diligently right now to determine what games play best on what platforms in order to make suggestions and generate, therefore, more Game Masters and more content for, for our convention.
1: Well, that is awesome. Yeah. I am I'm interested to see what they say. <laughs> I, I know one of my, one of my regrets with, uh, with playing board games online is there are board games I want to play that either everyone has to have paid for the game and we're playing on, you know, like, a, like an iOS or, a, you know, Android platform where everyone has bought the game and we can all connect there. Or the game isn't available on one of the, the, the open platforms like Sagrada. I really want to play Sagrada again. And I don't think it's out there on any of the, the board game sites. Yeah. So, okay, we wait. Another option, uh, depending
0: on the game you want to run, is to just use what we do as role players with a video conferencing system. If you have a game that is 95% open state, that there's no secret information, you can actually play it with a webcam. I ran Mm -hmm. code names uh, for my coworkers like this. We had a fun time. It's it's another way to think about it. Pandemic could be that way because it's mostly open information. Uh, A Mm -hmm. lot of the co-op games are totally open information.
1: Yeah. At the beginning of the pandemic, I actually played for the queen with some folks through video conferencing where we had one person who had the deck and, you know, the card that you get that you need to answer the question on is not secret. Once you basically pull the card, you read the question and then decide whether you're going to answer it or pass it. And basically she just held the question up and read it for us if we needed it read. But it was it, it worked. You know, there was nothing there was nothing there was nothing about that that did not work and, and make the game fun. Yeah,
0: I think that's another good one where if a game master's thinking about this, they should just try it with a few friends first before they offer it, because I could see like King of Tokyo, very open state. I mentioned that in the article, too. But if you don't get to roll the dice, what's the point?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there's there there is definitely certain tactile things that you need to take into account about playing games like I right. Also, want to give a, a shout out
0: to miniatures. I think there are some services that like board games. Ha- um, miniatures have their own services. I've heard of Vassal, which is another board game miniatures platform. I don't really know much about it, but somebody also recently pointed out to me that a lot of minis can be done in Roll Twenty. You can have a grid where you snap tokens onto a grid and then you can use a ruler to do measurement between spaces. So I think it's possible Though it might take a little bit of learning on the part of the game master to figure out how that works.
1: Yeah. You know, cause that's what I was thinking is I think one of the, one of the facets of the conventions that is probably suffering the most at this time are the war gamers. <laughs> cause you know, that's all that's a, that's an event. That's a big thing. you got a big table, a bunch of people around that big table, and that's, you know, I'm sure there are ways to do it virtually, but none of them may be as satisfying as actually getting to meet in person and, you know, destroy somebody else's army. Maybe
0: that's one where, uh, I don't know how open state they are, but you could potentially play it with a, a video camera focused onto the table.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like any war gamers out there, you'll have to tell us how you're how you're handling this. So moving into the the you know you're gonna attend you're you've signed up for games. If you don't have a whole lot of experience playing online, what do you as a player need to know about participating in an online game? I think the biggest thing for me is to understand how
0: video conferencing changes the way we interact with each other, like. Uh, as a my go-to example, when you say something and you finish speaking, there's this duration where you pause and you're waiting for someone else to talk to you. But depending on what your speed is, that silence can become really uncomfortable and you start talking again to fill the space, mm-hmm. which means the other people never get a word in edgewise. So, uh, it, Yeah. Like even even right now, while we're talking, turn taking is really important and critical, and it's hard to know if you're interrupting, if you're waiting too long. So communication is the first thing. It's just a different style.
1: Yeah, it's a very different style. One of the things that can help with that is whether or not you're using video. Video is not required to participate in an online RPG, but it can be super helpful um because it lets you see the body language of the people you're communicating with it can let you see that you know that oh like I really need to give you know I really need to as a GM I really need to like ask Paul next what he's doing because I can tell that he really wants to do something but Ange just talking so we need to make her stop and let Paul have a turn you know it's like you you need that really helps It's not essential. I've played plenty of games with with people who don't have video or don't want video. And it's just a matter of me as a GM making sure I throw them the spotlight on occasion to see what they're interested in, you know, like, make sure they're still involved and participating and not just, you know, because it is very easy to have one person just dominate a game because they're you know they're from new york and they don't understand pauses and start talking before people are ready for you to start talking so
0: yeah i've i've really used it in my own games where i'll put my hand up to speak and the game master will you know call on you and then call on you and call on you like we're in grade school but it's a it's a good enough technique that it gets us going and keeps us from becoming frustrated and more than that i mean the gesture the ability to gesture at each other is really nice because you can tell when somebody gets really enthusiastic, gets really into a moment, they're gesturing, mm-hmm. they're smiling, they're laughing, and you can see that all. And that feedback is really nice as a game master.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is super helpful, you know, as, as, as a GM or as a player to, you know, like, like as a GM, I love seeing the smiles, <laughs> you know, like to know that, okay, this is, okay, this is going well. This is going well. I'm reading. It's basically part of reading the table. Yeah, versus watching that person who seems to be staring off screen at their
0: phone. <laughs> Maybe I need to do something to engage them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, another thing I'll throw out there is you have to be patient. Not everyone is as technically savvy as everyone else. So you need to be prepared for people with varying levels of familiarity with the technology. Yeah yeah and and be prepared to factor in a bit of time at the beginning of the session for everyone to kind of get on the same page. whether it's somebody's having trouble connecting, somebody's having trouble with their mic, somebody's having trouble with their video, oh, we need to switch to a different platform because this isn't working for somebody else. You know, it's you got to have a little bit of patience to factor in all this. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, when my group switched to online, I had I factored in an hour of our first session to basically handle technical difficulties. Yeah, one of the nice things about the having a
0: regular group is you kind of get through those technical difficulties and you don't have to worry about them. But when you go to the convention, you're gaming with a bunch of people who who it's your first time playing together, and you're you're all having to sign up onto this uh, this virtual meeting and whatnot and oh i didn't actually bother to check my games ahead of time to see what they were using so i'm now going to be 10 minutes late because i need to install tabletop simulator
1: yeah exactly so be patient both with interacting with people and with the technology exactly unless there's anything else you want to add i think we're we're pretty good oh virtual vendors Oh, virtual vendors. Yeah, let's uh let's take a moment and talk about virtual vendors, because, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the episode, the game industry is hurting both the game designers and game companies, but also a lot of the vendors who would make their living traveling to conventions and festivals and fairs and whatever. They don't have those right now. What are you planning for UConn as far as that goes? Well, it's a bit early yet, but my vision
0: is to use a Discord or a similar service to create breakout meeting rooms. So your your vendor could essentially have a little storefront inside of Discord, or it could be on Twitch or on a YouTube stream or something like that, where they can have videos going, explaining games, giving demos or answering questions from uh, participants. But some some sort of means to bring the customers over to them at specific times uh in order to facilitate the generation of new customers and giving us the chance to buy the geek stuff that we love
1: yeah our virtual gaming uh, our virtual dealers hall virtual dealers hall yeah
0: i also think uh we should maybe talk about game conventions that do go online we should recognize that it's not going to be the same experience as an in-person convention for all the reasons we've talked about. There's potentially mm-hmm. costs involved with signing up for games. There's going to be all these technical difficulties and some people need troubleshooting and some people don't. Given the way gamers are, um, and the way the world is right now, I, I'm strongly advocating for like pay what you want or free or cheap sorts of events uh, in order to help out our fellow gamers you know cuz we're we're all in this together
1: yeah and and you know there's a lot of reasons to participate you know beyond the fact the opportunity to to get to play a game it's the to support the industry to support that convention cuz i really want my conventions to still be there next year when hopefully we can get together in person again
0: yukon should be good but yeah i hope that's true for a lot of other conventions that may be struggling right now
1: yeah, it's it's I, I think it's important for people to realize that conventions are are a complicated thing and a lot of them are not necessarily how do I want to phrase this? A lot of them are operating on very tight budgets. Yes, and canceling an event does not mean that they don't have to pay for
0: for certain things.
1: Yes. Yes. There's a lot of facets in play on what you know when a convention can cancel whether or not they're going to be liable for any costs or anything like that so be understanding and patient of your conventions i believe most most responsible conventions are canceling when possible right now but a lot of them may be you know between a rock and a hard place as far as canceling their events yeah that's certainly true at this particular time period
0: we were lucky that our our venue is really cool. We have a really great relationship with us and they're taking the opportunity to do renovations this year. So I look forward to being back in that space next year.
1: Ooh, I look forward to seeing what they do with that space next year. I think we're good. So we can get into our outro here. This show is funded by the Gnomestu Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes website, Gnomes Patreon. This ad is brought to you by The Hasmocon suit! The suit you wear to protect you from everything. Sure, it's bulky and a little awkward, but if this pandemic doesn't get things under control by next year, I'm sure as heck going to need something so I can get my convention on. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably, like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows, here's one to check out. Shang-Yu Hustle.
0: Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jangu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films than discussing how to apply their observations to game design.
1: You can find all of us gnomes at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Laura, where can we find you on the internet? Well,
0: I participate in the Yukon Gaming Community on Facebook, and you can also find me on Ucon-gaming.org. That's U-C-O-N-Gaming.org.
1: Excellent. Now, I'm going to declare that we are both safe from the stew because we've got conventions we need to attend coming up. Thank goodness. Yeah.
0: Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
1: Um, uh, where was I going
0: to, go? I had a thing I was going to say too. And I, then I got lost.